I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review and our 25th episode. Each episode, we start off by talking about what we've been watching our week in review, move on to the main event, which is typically either a main review or a subject uh, that we discuss. And then we cap it all off with film faves. Our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, typically marching back through time year by year. This time, it's the 2001 list. That's right. And our main event is... A Wrinkle in Time. That's right. We will be reviewing the latest by Ava DuVernay, starring Reese Witherspoon, Oprah Winfrey, Mindy Kaling... And Chris Pine. And Storm Reed. Storm Reed is uh, is this her first role? I don't know. This was she was new to me. So, uh, at any rate, first though, let's take a step back and review our week. Shannon, you haven't watched anything this past week, really, separate from me on your own, yeah? I have nothing to add for my own week in review. So. I don't have much myself. I just have one thing that I've been able to squeeze in. And it's called I Have Found It. It is a Bollywood film from the year 2000. Been sitting on the Netflix queue for quite a while. I have a couple Bollywood movies sitting on the shelf. This was one of them. It stars Ashraya Rai and a bunch of Indian performers I'm not familiar with. So Bollywood film is one of my biggest blind spots. Uh, Shannon, you were telling me you have familiarized yourself back home from in South Africa with Bollywood because it would be on TV a lot, right? Yeah, it would be on one of the free channels and they would actually dedicate one day of the week to Bollywood films. And it was really cool. I used to like it because it meant fewer ads Mm. because the Bollywood films were so long. Mm. So... Um, they didn't want to, you know, draw it out from a three-hour film to a five-hour spot, you know, or four-hour spot. Uh, that would just be crazy. So that's why they kept it to one day mm. of the week. And usually I would miss the first hour mm-hmm. because I was, you know, doing sports and things on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. But it was a really fun experience for me because I just loved all the drama and the music and it would be really fun to actually walk in an hour later because I'd be like why the hell is she singing and tears are streaming down her face and it was always fascinating to me you know Mm. in a good way it was kind of like what the fuck is going on here this is great (laughs) so really briefly you touch on two uh two important points about Bollywood films that I am am learning uh one they're incredibly long it's the rare film that is less than two and a half or three hours long of these films. Uh, Bollywood, by the way, refers to films made in Mumbai, which is now um, Bombay, I mean, which is now Mumbai, right? So, but they're incredibly long films. And the reason why, and this is another point that you uh, kind of touched on, they like to meander their stories. They like to have backstories. They like to have subplots. They like to have many subplots and um those subplots would go off in different directions and stuff so you know come i can only imagine coming into a movie an hour 
into it, it'd be very confusing uh, well, because, you know, <laughs> the first hour sets everything up, right? It's really funny because to me, it's like, oh, they're exploring all their options. <laughs> yeah, more or less. So we talked about a film a few episodes back, several episodes back called Guzarish, which was uh, my first Bollywood experience, first straight up Bollywood experience. And uh, we, I was mostly positive about that. Um, I have found it is quite a bit different. It's it's a adaptation of Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility, uh, which is essentially about these three daughters and them falling in love and finding love and all that sort of stuff. Typical Jane Austen uh, stuff. Now, uh, of course, being a Bollywood film, it's embellished quite a bit. It does. It does, however, go all over the place. It does meander even at two and a half hours. It does have all these incredible musical fantasias or fantasy sequences. Um, that's another uh, basic element of Bollywood films. I learned is actually because of um, that being an essential aspect of Indian storytelling that dates back thousands of years, and it just is something that got incorporated into Indian film, and so that's why. Bollywood films are so well known for their uh, musical sequences. And also it ends up, now it's turned into a marketing thing apparently where it's something that sells the movie and entices people to, to go see the movie more and sells tickets. At any rate, uh, I have found it. I liked it, but I can't say I was fully invested. Being someone who is very much westernized, appreciates tight scripts, you know, tight storytelling. And also, I don't think it necessarily helps that I'm not a big fan of Jane Austen's uh, stories. In the first place, they, they rarely ever appeal to me. But I did like this one marginally. I did like the, the musical sequences. And it's, it's worth seeking out through Netflix if you can. If for no other reason you get to see Ashraya Rai in her, I think, fifth film role something like that i would love i think i bet her filmography page is just like scrolls oh it, it's, <laughs> it's like very long. huge <laughs> yeah it's very long. that girl works her tail off yeah yeah she sure has so that's my weekend review but shanna you and i have seen several things together starting uh back with a couple movies that we've neglected to mention we had we were really cramming a bunch of stuff in in our last episode on our weekend review we had to put off the next two films that we saw together. The first being the My Little Pony movie. Uh, Shannon, this is something that you're you're a much bigger My Little Pony Friendship is Magic fan than I am, but we have talked about it in the past in, in previous episodes. What was your thought about the My Little Pony movie, and did it measure up to the series for you? I have mixed feelings about the movie. Mm. I am caught up on the TV show yeah. as far as Netflix will go. Okay. And something that the show is so good at doing is creating villains. Mm. But not only creating villains, but figuring out what the situation is that got them there in the first place. And okay. making it right. Not just fighting evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fixing it. Right, right, right. So that's what I have come to know Friendship is Magic. Which is an element of the film as well. Yes, but not as not at the caliber I expect. Okay. I would say. Okay. 
but I get it. It's like you have a whole season to do it. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just a movie. Yeah. Which is like 90 minutes, I think. Yeah. So I knew it was going to be a little crazy and rushed. and. Okay. Uh, I did not like the treatment they gave the ponies. What do you mean? The artistic treatment. Oh. How they lit is them. Is it really different? It's really different. They're, oh. they're trying so hard to... You know, shine one. It's it's essentially shining one light on one side of them and shadowing the other side of them. Weird. No, not really. I mean, if that's what you're used to seeing, it's fine. Huh. But seeing them in the TV show for I don't know seven or eight seasons, and yeah. then coming to that, it was a little jarring. I don't know how bronies would feel about the film. I don't know how fans would feel about the film. I should I should look it up actually, but Well, you're a fan. I am, and I have mixed feelings about the film. There you go. I I feel like it moves very quickly and it's a little too quick for my liking. You know, I didn't dislike the movie. However, I was very mixed on it as well. Mostly I lean negative on it. Only because, um, you know, I I like the TV series. I'm not a fan of the TV series. I don't, I haven't watched the series like you and our son has. But this felt really very much like either a TV movie or at the very least a movie just for the fans. There's no context given for anyone who might not be a fan of the series may not be familiar with these characters there's not really much in the way of character development as a film on its own it's not going to court new fans and it's done it's not something that purely exists on its own Mm. and it's it's almost like you know it reminds me of a couple of things it reminds me of the X-Files movie and the Transformers animated film from the 80s. It really feels like it's a part of the series mm-hmm. and, and just for the fans of the series and not a film on its own to enjoy and appreciate. You bring up a really good point. Part of the formula of a season with My Little Pony is introduce the new villain usually in the beginning of the episodes okay. or set it up, uh-huh. you know, sometimes you don't know what's coming yeah. until the end. Yeah. So you get the villain introduction or set up and then you get uh, struggles with friendship and struggles with selves that get, you know, overcome. Yeah. And then you get, you, you know, you get new characters or sometimes what happens is you get a new species uh, introduced mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you you combat the villain and so it has a formula it has works. a formula but it's a beautiful formula and the movie's it's really nice the movie does follow that formula yes so now that you mentioned that i was like you know it's probably it makes me feel like critically it makes me feel like oh well this was a seri- a, a season idea mm. but they didn't have enough backstory or they couldn't figure out how to get there mm. because it does it does seem to happen on like if you were to think of the map, it does seem to happen on a very, very far end of the map that we've never seen before. You're talking about in the world. That in the My Little they, Pony world. Yeah, yeah kingdom. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah, so that's the My Little Pony movie, which you can rent, I believe, on Amazon. Next, we finally saw Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. 
which we have been trying to see since it came out in theaters back in the fall. We finally caught up with it about three weeks ago or so. And so, Shanna, uh, th- this film is about Professor Marston himself, William Moulton Marston, and his wife, Elizabeth, I believe is her name, played by the wonderful Rebecca Hall, and uh, their marriage and how they come to meet Olive and how their private life ends up working towards the creation of Wonder Woman. Was this a satisfying film for you, Shanna? Did it meet your expectations having waited so long for this film? Yes, I think it was really satisfying. I really, it was a very interesting observation of how women are pitted against each other and how, because of that, how women constantly feel threatened by other women, but... You're ta- are you referring specifically to the wife and Olive? Yes, that's how it starts mm. in the beginning. And that's addressed very quickly. Though, yeah. In, yeah. Well, they move very quickly past it too, yeah, but yeah. it shows how you know Elizabeth's directness helps set up a boundary. Um, she literally yeah. says, like, do not sleep with my husband. Yes, yes. Like, very just abrupt. don't. I mean, it's established uh, that she's a very abrupt personality. Well, and I am always attracted to watching that. I'm not mm. always attracted to having it as a friend <laughs> because right. sometimes it's a little too jarring for me. But mm-hmm. So after setting up that boundary, the reaction to her is, is uh, shows what she's not, shows her naivety. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And also how she is constantly assumed. Olive has a very stereotypical look. And so she's constantly, there's this assumption around her we think certain things of her because of the way she looks like, Oh, Mm. she's just, she's just here. And then it turns out she's actually the granddaughter or the niece of some very powerful niece of Margaret Sainer, who Mm -hmm. Americans, educated Americans would know as the person who developed uh, birth control, birth control. Yes. Yeah. I also thought that the different, you know, the movie showed the different ways in which women were controlled by constructs it's just disgusting every time I realize it and every time I realize how there's a little bit left like the construct hasn't been completely destroyed so we're like women are still being controlled by it Mm. coming back to you know it shows how women are pitted against each other you see not only Olive and Elizabeth pitted against each other for a short period but then you also see other women getting involved and judging who Olive and Elizabeth are and kind of destroying their family. Ultimately, I came out very positive on it. I think it's a very beautiful film. I think Bella Heathcote is the person who plays Olive Byrne. Some people may know her from such things as Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, The Neon Demon, uh, even a series called The Man in the High Castle, none of which I've really seen myself. So she was a new presence uh, for me. But I thought she was really great as uh, Olive, having to navigate also playing, for the most part, a college-age young woman who, to be clear, is not necessarily manipulated or, or like seduced into any sort of like malicious web of anything. Like She definitely makes choices of her own. Consciously and empowering Yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like the director 
Angela Robinson really takes this material in in interesting directions that you wouldn't necessarily see a man take. Angela Robinson is, by the way, a director of a few things, a few projects, mostly TV, but some people may have caught her 2004 film Debs, which was not a good movie, but had this lesbian subplot in this spy movie that I thought was really unique and ahead of its time at the time, even though it was an absolutely ridiculous film. That little element was unique and interesting. Oh, this she is a did far the, better movie. Looks like she did the show Hung, which um, was interesting, an interesting show. Right. She might have written episodes of Hung. Yeah, she's producer. She, she she wrote four episodes. She wrote several TV shows for like True Blood, The L Word. Anyway, mostly the point what's important is that she handles the material really interestingly. Even the sex scene is very interesting. It's not titillating. It, it's shot in a certain way. My one issue of the film that that i can recall having is its cast is way younger Hmm. than the actual people seem to have been at the time when you also say they're like prettier well yeah it's like well yeah you got luke evans who uh also played gaston that last year and then you have rebecca hull you know they're not difficult to look at you know so they as opposed to if you take see images of the real William Marston and and Elizabeth Marston they're much more average and older looking people Marston died shortly after his creation of Wonder Woman like within a couple years Mm. and he was in his like I want to say easily in his 60s and so um, and that's just a few years after uh, if I remember correctly, a few years after the whole all of burn, you know, introduction and all of that. Mm. So I think I think we're looking at like a ten year span maybe. So Luke Evans in no way looks like he's a, he's getting to be an old man. And that's that's one thing. It's a very it f- makes the film feel a little Hollywood. But there's so many other good things about the film. I think I think it it may have just fallen out of my top 10. If I were to redo my top 10 of 2017 right now, it's either just barely squeaking in or just on the outside. Definitely better than Shape of Water for me, by the way. But that's a whole other thing. <laughs> uh-huh. So anyway, did you have any other quick thoughts about Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman? I think you were right about the sex scene. It was definitely more like how a woman would experience sex. It's very yeah. feeling. Yeah. Uh, they they use the cinematography in such a way that it's feeling feeling induced and not like physical pleasure. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's uh, taste it's tastefully cut. It doesn't it's not gazy, let's say you know. Yes. Uh, um, and that sort of stuff. It's not at all titillating. So, also, we finished finally Luke Cage. Oh my god, one. guys! This has taken like forever. So yeah, Luke Cage season one. Uh, it has taken us a very. It taken. It's taken us too long, and that's actually one of my problems with enjoying the series. Is every time you brought up watching Luke Cage as an option, I would just kind of like groan because 
not because I wasn't enjoying Luke Cage, but because it was taking so damn long to get through just 13 episodes. You know, it would be like, oh, what episode are we on? Oh, my God, we're only on episode five. Oh. And it would be just taking forever. That said, and I'm interested in your thoughts, I overall enjoy the series. I enjoy the series more than Jessica Jones. The series is split, seems like, in two halves. One half having to do with a villain named Cottonmouth. Another half having to do with a villain uh, named Diamondback. Both actually from the comics themselves. Not characters I'm terribly familiar with. I didn't read Luke Cage growing up. I didn't really know much about him until he joined the New Avengers about 15 years ago. At any rate, I enjoy the series. I feel like there's a lot of issues with the last episode. But what did you think about Luke Cage? I enjoy it. I think the cinematography is really interesting and it's also really exciting to see majority... I don't know if there's any white people in this show, which yeah, is great. Yeah, there are a few. Are they? Yeah, not, they're all supporting characters, but there's not... Oh, okay. It's like maybe four. They're not really at the forefront. Most, you know, if right. they are there, they're there for a very short time. I think if I remember correctly, one dies halfway through the series. Oh, good. Anyway, so... Yeah, you, very I really, character, I really enjoy see, watching a show, and the show talks about this too, where you do see a really strong black man and very smart very courageous very good black man Mm. and i i love how they celebrate him near the end of the series too because they've you know the community has figured out who he is and what he stands for Mm. and how there's this unity that happens but yes the last episode was a bit rushed something that you think is going to happen 40 minutes into uh, 30 minutes into the episode happens at the 15 20 minute mark so it's like they moved very quickly to tie up all these loose ends which they could have just addressed in season two you know i would have been totally fine well, some of it some of it could have been addressed later i i think i felt like there was more ridiculous choices that were made there's the old i won't get too specific just in case someone hasn't caught up with luke cage but in the batman comics there's a villain named bane bane is a guy who basically has tubes hooked up into him that give him his power he presses a couple buttons some fluids get you know pumped into his body and it gives him strength right all batman has to do is figure out a way to disconnect or disable that that system right and this dude is done for right if he can get to that vulnerability there is a similar villain in in the in a similar battle in the last episode of the season and the entire time i just kept thinking especially since there would be shots that would show a similar construct a similar system on the on a villain and you just kind of think, oh, well, Luke Cage is just going to, you know, take a swing and destroy that device. That's all he has to do, and this is over. Never happens. And I found that really frustrating. It comes down to the hero. All he has to do is one simple thing. He's capable of doing that simple thing. He never makes the choice to do that simple thing and just end this entire fight. And it, that became a little frustrating. And there are a couple things along those lines that kept me from 
cheering and, and getting really into the last episode and feeling really satisfied by it. But overall, the, the season is uh, really good, and I look forward to seeing him in The Defenders. Next, do we want to talk about the Academy Awards briefly? You don't seem sure. Let's, let's spend, like, two minutes. Okay. What'd you like? So here's how I felt. I loved Frances McDormand. I loved what she did. I loved that she won. I loved, mm-hmm. love what she did. If you yeah. don't know what the writer inclusion is, go and look it up because it's actually very helpful. It's all about, you know, including minorities, including just being inclusive in yeah. a film. And they have to do it. They have to listen to you if you do that, if you request that that in the contract, uh-huh. which you can, which everybody should be doing it now. So anyway, I was not happy about The Shape of Water winning best film. I have nothing against Gilmore de Toro, but no, that was not the film that should have won. Again, this is another time, another example of Love Letters to Hollywood winning, and I'm a little sick of it. Uh, movie making, um, I'm a little sick of it. I was extremely ecstatic that Sam Rockwell won, and I was extremely ecstatic that Blade Runner got the Cinematography Award because they completely mm-hmm. fucking deserved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's my thoughts. Yeah, I'm not too far off from you. I mean, mostly my disappointments is that. Dunkirk won for Best Film Editing. That was one of two awards I didn't think it was. Uh, it should have been nominated for because I really felt that the two biggest issues with the film was editing and score. Uh, I, and thankfully, it did not win for score. I was upset that it did win for editing. And like you, I'm greatly disappointed that The Shape of Water won for Best Picture I, because I feel the same way. Uh, the Shape of Water is a fine film. It's a good film. Mm. It is not even in my top 10 best films of 2017, however, let alone in the top three. I would have been happy and feel that either Three Billboards Outside Ebony, Missouri, Lady Bird, or Get Out should have been the winner above The Shape of Water. Someone did argue that Shape of Water was more the safer choice, and for whatever reason, they went Mm. safer route. Which is weird to me since they chose Moonlight last year, mm-hmm. not the safe choice. So I don't quite understand that. Guillermo del Toro, he's he's you know he's ethnic, he's Mexican, so we can't argue you know the whole like someone white beating someone who's black or a woman. You know that's not the case here. No, it's not. But that said, I really wish Jordan Peele or Greta Gerwig did win for Best Director. Yeah. Because I felt like their work was deserving of it. However, it's great that Get Out got Best Original Screenplay. Yes, it did get that bone. Really exciting. Yeah. I have very mixed feelings about the results. Mostly Mm. disappointed this year. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a matter of, oh, my favorite movies didn't win. I just really felt like the, the... the best didn't quite win this yeah. year. Well, it's really funny because we have an Oscar party every year. We have a ballot that we fill out. And at one point, I think all our attendees thought I was being a spoiled sport when I got upset about something particular not winning. And I can't yeah. remember what it was. But yeah. I was like, no, guys, this film that just won does not deserve the award. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's really what it was about. All right. So... That's our Week in Review. Let's get on to the main event, which is our review of Ava DuVernay's A Wrinkle in Time. Close your eyes. 
soothe mine. You were a top student, but look at you now. You can't keep using your father's disappearance as an excuse to act out. Is that his work? Well, what's it about? Your dad, he wanted to touch the stars. Imagine that the ant here wants to get to her other hand. His quickest option is to walk across the street. But it turns out a straight line is not the shortest distance between two points. Not if you use the fifth dimension. It's outside of the rules we know of time and space. So the ant arrives in my hand instantaneously. So you fall into space. More likely wrinkle it. That was from the trailer to A Wrinkle in Time, directed by Ava DuVernay, which some may know from the film from a few years ago, Selma, about Martin Luther King Jr. It also stars Oprah Winfrey, Reese Witherspoon, Mindy Kaling, Chris Pine, and Storm Reid. And Storm Reid as the main character, Meg. Of course, based on the 1965 novel, I believe. Uh, by Malin Langle has since become a children's uh, book classic uh, which I feel like every generation gets an opportunity um, has this book passed down I remember when I was a child this book was very popular really Uh, I don't know what your history is with the book but um, I remember it being you know checked out a lot at the school library and and people um, carrying it around such I never got around to it or read it myself. My first true exposure to it was the 2003 TV movie, which I saw about 10 years ago and is terrible. I do not recommend it at all. Shanna, before we get into our actual review, what is your history with the book A Wrinkle in Time? I had no idea about the book. I had no idea what the film is about. Mm. Until I went to our fantastic museum in Seattle, the Modern Museum of Pop Culture. We call it the EMP. It's not the EMP anymore, but, right, yeah. you know, whatever. That, that's the place that I, I, like, I enjoy going to. And there was there's a particular corner in the museum that talks about women in science fiction. Uh-huh. And they actually mention Madeline Okay. And so the author, I don't know how to say her last name. I think it's Langle. Oh, okay. I could be wrong. Well, uh, you know, all these people were influential females in the sci-fi community were talking about her. And that's how I found out about it. And then she was also mentioned, we have just come back from Emerald City Comic Con from last week. And she was mentioned in one of the panels there, too. Right, right, right. So, 
typically when we have a main review, here's what we do uh, for those who might be new. We first like to talk about the good, what we liked about a movie. It's, fo it's important to focus always on the positive first. And then we talk about the bad, what we didn't like about a movie, uh, which segues us into general discussion before we get into spoilers and final thoughts. So, Shanna, what did you like? What did you think was good about Ava DuVernay's Wrinkle in Time? I love the theme of this movie, the fight that exists within ourselves how and how that affects everyone around us in the world. It's really strong in this movie, I feel. I love the makeup, the costume design, the set design, or rather the CG. Uh, the visual <laughs> effects were, were beautiful. However, they were not perfection. The and visual effects were yes, not perfect. And okay. I feel like that's okay. For some reason, I feel like that's okay in this film hmm. because I feel like the story was more important to tell than you know impress you with perfect visual effects and I don't usually feel that way uh, the imagination that was you know filmed was just so beautifully deliciously portrayed and I okay. I really enjoyed you know people are making fun of the creature that looks like a piece of lettuce but I think that was pretty cool okay I love that the movie talks about you know em embracing our talents but but also acknowledging our faults and how that can make us so much stronger Knowing that we're loved and learning how to love ourselves, these are all really good themes. That It's great that kids are going to be exposed to this at such a young age mm. to figure it out because, I mean, I'm going on 31 and I still haven't figured out half the shit. There were obviously a couple times where I cried because I felt the performances were really just so strong and full of emotion. I enjoyed seeing all the bright colors that existed in this world. Colors are a tricky thing for me, mm. and I feel like they got it right. Mm. So that's okay. that's that's what I I liked all the characters. Yeah. I I was thoroughly entertained and enjoyed and had my mind open to different things and realizations okay. within myself. So I highly recommend this film. Okay, interesting. I, however, am much more mixed about the film. This is going to be an interesting discussion. I actually even lean more towards the negative on, on this movie. But uh, let, me, let me detail the positive, what I liked about the movie first. Have you read the book? Just no. to clarify. No, I haven't. Okay. So I'm, I'm completely basing this as a movie itself. All right. Um, divorcing myself of, you know, what the book should be or what have you however apparently this book is widely regarded and speculated as an unfilmable book and maybe some reasons as to why that is will come to light when we get to our next section but let me let me talk about what i liked about the movie first of all there were several moments in the film where my jaw was on the floor and I was, I was just like, oh, wow. Like, the visuals in this film never really were my issue. I've heard some criticisms of some of the visual effects, but they actually didn't seem terrible to me. I, and, and actually, one of the sequences that made me go, oh, wow, was actually when... Um, there is a character that turns into a giant freaking green flying nature creature. 
which is in the in the trailer. You see a little bit of that that character in there. That was just really awe-inspiring for me and quite remarkable. The cast, I feel like the cast is really well cast. Hmm, I agree. Kind of perfect. A good example of this is Reese Witherspoon. She plays a character named Mrs. What's-It. And it, it is, like, very much the sunny, like... Reese Witherspoon that you know not only from some previous movies but also in, in if you watch her or follow her on Instagram this seems really to be <laughs> seems Reese. authentically her yeah it was yeah. it was really perfectly cast and then you know it's not like Mindy Kaley was cast as a very comedic uh, role you know she's known for her comedy and stuff but Oprah is freaking god essentially I mean yeah. like she, the way she's shot and the way she's visualized, half of her screen time, she's like this giant figure that towers over everybody, you know. And I thought that was interesting. Like literally, Oprah That's is like literally a god, what she right? is <laughs> in you know? TV world. Right. She is well in, in in the entertainment industry. She is this giant presence. You know. I thought Chris Pine did a fine job. As, as the Father. catalyst of the entire adventure, but also this guy who's a scientist, and he's, he thinks he's figured out space and time and the secrets of the universe, and he, he ends up disappearing as a result of it and missing out on four years of his family's life. There's an actress in this film who plays his wife. Uh, her name, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing this, but it's Gugu Mbatha-Ra. I really like her. And the entire time I was trying to place, why do I know this woman? And aha, I realized it's because now she was in a film called Beyond the Lights, which is a very good film. And I highly recommend it. It's, uh, if I remember correctly, it's also an F-rated film. Let me see who directed that film. She's also been in movies like Jupiter um, Ascending. Not a very good movie. Uh, Gina Prince by the Wood directed Beyond the Lights. It's a great director. But I really liked her, even though it's a, a very supporting role. Uh, she's also in Mrs. Sloan, Miss Sloan, we saw last year. She isn't given a big role, but she has a presence on screen. And I really liked her, and I hope to see more of her in the future. So overall, for the most part, and Storm Reed. We can't not mention Storm Reed. Yeah, so she's got about 12 films under her name right now. Is it? Okay. Including upcoming projects. And she is actually the girl in the blue dress from 12 Years a Slave. Well, I, I believe remember. she is the one that's torn away from her mother. Okay. And is sold as someone who will be groomed to serve. Yeah, and Man. it looks like most of her credits are TV credits. So... I, I, I don't think, you know, I don't remember her in 12 Years a Slave, but that seems like the only other thing I would have actually seen her in. But she she has to do a, a, a lot with what she's given, and she, I think, succeeds. She is, of course, the lead and the thing that the entire story centers around. So if she isn't able to pull it off, the entire movie is a lost cause and i i think she does i think she does succeed as may so 
mostly those are all the things that I enjoyed, I thought were good about the film. I think you had a good point about, you know, how everybody was cast for these particular roles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even, was it Zach Galifianakis? Yes, I was about to say, yeah, yeah. I mean, when he says, do I look like I'm kidding? Right. As like, well, you were cast correctly. You do look like you're kidding. Yeah, true. Um, like any real comedian, even when they're being serious, <laughs> you know, they're being funny and not even yeah. trying to be, right? Yeah. And that's that's exactly, that, that moment perfectly encapsulates that. Yeah. yeah. Just coming back real quickly to Oprah, I mean, the lines that she delivered yeah. in this film, Yeah. that's who we know Oprah to be. So sure. hearing... Those powerful lines, and I wish I could remember what she says, but there's that there's one moment where she's, you know, she's gone to human size and her and Meg are talking. Yeah. And there's something that she says there that just made me bawl my eyes out because it was just so powerful and true. I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact words. Well, and I've been trying to find it, I, and I, I can't. It has something to do with, if I'm thinking of the same thing, it has something to do with, you know, do you realize how many things had to have happened in the history of time in order to have created you as you are? Yes. You know. Now I want to cry. Right. Yeah. So that's the other thing that's that um, I like about the movie is everyone's heart is in the right place this this the story has a lot of well meaningness to it good messages for young girls let's move on to what we didn't like about the movie okay shanna you go first so i didn't like that meg was seen or portrayed as a troubled teen this is a girl who's lost her father and Mm. doesn't know what happened to him Here's this girl, she's smart, and she's being bullied. She's receiving this bullying, and there's no consequence to the bully. And it just, oh my God, it aggravated me so much because it made me think of 13 Reasons Why as well. well. And it also makes me think of my own high school experience which i'm sure a lot of adults could relate to too i don't know what it's like for kids now i honestly just don't know but it felt so archaic how the adults were in that school system i will say that i think there's some reality to that situation that you're describing a lot of good kids get end up being punished because they do lash out after being um pushed and they get told well there's no excuse for that or that's not a good enough reason or whatever let me so that that's pretty that's pretty real so what else didn't you like about the movie okay i have one spoiler that i'll talk about later but i could tell they were trying very you know very hard to move quickly through content in this film at times it was a little jarring i.e the bouncing ball scene uh, it just moved so quickly. And I know they set it up by saying, oh, this is the planet that has many changing faces. Yes. But, but what was the point of that? I figured it out. Mm. Only after the fact. Mm. Now, it was essentially different ways of tempting the three characters. Yeah. Um, I, I, know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But, but it moved so quickly. It didn't have a chance to, yeah. you know, really help us understand that mm-hmm. but at the same time i appreciated that they didn't waste time i think that this is like a film that i just have to watch on repeat for a couple of days mm-hmm. to like gather it so i just it, it's kind of a love-hate relationship there for me 
I think you said, said something a couple times that's really important to the problems of this movie. It moves quickly. I think, it, you know, this movie is an hour 40 minutes. I think it could easily have used another 10, 20 minutes alone just on development. Character development in the first act would have been wonderful. I, I feel like this movie is not very far below surface level in a lot of the stuff it's dealing with and a lot of the, 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 the motivations of the characters and stuff. But right off the bat, this movie, like you get a little bit of setup with the family dynamic of what's going on. You're right. I don't feel like what's going on with Meg is very well developed. She, we get told that she's a troubled child, but you don't really see it. You really see more that you have people acting really bitchy to her for, for reasons you don't understand, even. Like, just really cruel for reasons you don't understand. Aside from maybe she's smart, you know? And all of a sudden, also, her brother... Charles Wallace Jr. Yeah, Charles Wallace. That name... Which is repeated ad nauseum in the movie. I, I love I kept, that name. I kept thinking George Wallace, which all of the American audiences, you know, that name will sound familiar. Bugged me. But he's played by Derek McCabe. All of a sudden, he's having a conversation with a random character in the living room who just appeared. And you're like, what? And all of a sudden, you know, he's acting like he's had a relationship with this character. And this is the first that you've seen any sign of this at all. And next thing you know, he's willing to go into a creepy stranger's house, you know, and all of a sudden this other magical character. I was like going, what the hell is going on in this movie? You know, it's just none of that is really developed very well. You're just thrown into it in in a haphazard way that I really Mm -hmm. felt like they could have used at least 10 minutes alone on just that that's that first act developing and gradually building up to this adventure i do feel like it's like kidnap advertising you know i get it it's a little under it's very underdeveloped so that's one Mm. of the the continue the issues throughout the movie you don't you have scenes that are supposed to be i think it's in the second half of the film scenes that are supposed to be creepy or eerie or whatever but you don't really understand, like, why is that? Why does that exist? You understand on a surface level, okay, this is supposed to lead to a temptation. But, I mean, you have people like Bellamy Young in, like, a two-minute role. And you're like, why did they cast Bellamy Young in that role? You know, they could have cast anybody. The person literally walks on the screen and then... And within two minutes, walks out of screen. You never see that actress again. It's very odd. And there's stuff that we can get into spoilers, I guess, as we get carry on. But stuff like that, big issue, I think, uh, in the film. Uh, Michael Pena, another character. Later on in the movie, we can talk about in spoilers. Someone who's there doesn't make any sense, not uh, very well explained, and all of a sudden isn't there. So... I feel mostly, though, that if they just took a little time, dig a little bit deeper, just develop things just a little bit more, I think this movie would have gone, gotten a lot more mileage. 
Was there any general thoughts that you wanted to discuss about the film outside of uh, good and bad? I read online that Madeline was a Christian Mm -hmm. and that there were Bible verses being quoted in the book. Okay. I don't know to what extent. By Mindy Kaling's character? I'm not sure. Okay. I th- it might have been a character that got com- that got completely left out. I, I don't okay. I don't know. Sure, sure. You know, back then when the book was written, I mean, I guess that was appropriate because there were a lot of there was a huge Christian population, and I'm not saying that the population oh. has dwindled. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but what I am saying is, what I am trying to say is that I actually enjoyed that they kept it fairly neutral. You know, you can apply whatever belief system you have in place in your home, in your family, to whatever was being mentioned there because they have just a basic foundation happening, light Mm. versus dark. And so you can apply Jesus or, you you know, the polar opposite of whatever that is. The devil would be that, Sure. You can apply yin-yang. You can do whatever. And I really appreciated that they made it neutral yeah so yeah. that families around the world can apply whatever they need to apply mm. um, well, or leave you're, you're, it or leave it as saying, is you're essentially saying they made it more universal yes and i really enjoyed that there was representation perhaps the representation and you mean inclusion diversity? Yeah. yeah um it wasn't just three it could have just as easily been three white women one red sure. red yeah. hair dark hair blonde hair you know yeah, yeah. but it wasn't it was a woman of Indian descent, a woman of African descent, and a woman of European descent. So right. I liked that they were doing that, and we should see that more often. And I also like that Meg was biracial. Yeah. How often, I don't, I don't know, how often do we see f- family films that have a black mom and a white dad? Right. Or vice versa? Sure. So, yeah, I mean... It, 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 I, I'm with you. It's not a, a weakness of the movie by any no. means. So. so then another point I wanted to talk about was I get that this book was pretty complex. Okay. I get that. Okay. But there were elements in it that needed to be told during the time we're going through right now. Okay. And, you know, there's one line that Oprah talks about. I, th- I believe it's Oprah's character that talks about it where she's meg doesn't understand why she can't see anything when she's tesseracting tessering tessering and oprah says well you're not going to see anything until you accept yourself and until you're one with the universe until there's love yeah you know between those things and that's a really good point it's like you're not going to find peace within yourself unless you accomplish those things that that i just discussed so I think that that's really an important thing to bring up. Yeah, I mean, again, the themes of the story, I which I would assume are in the book, are, are noble things, especially for a children's fantasy film of this scope, you know, of production and, and budget and all that. You know, it's a Disney film and... They marketed the hell out of this thing. So something of that scope, having those kinds of messages, is, is obviously a really good thing and very noble. Let's get into spoilers, shall yes. we? Because I feel like we have more to discuss. Yes, let's do that. In there. 
Alright, here we go for spoilers for A Wrinkle in Time. Let us hmm. begin. <laughs> Shanna? Yeah. You had a couple specific things you wanted to talk about uh, in spoilers. Uh, why don't you go first? Sure. What I didn't like about the film is how the dad had to apologize for his life's mission. What do you mean? Just because you have children yeah. doesn't mean that your life's purpose stops. So it doesn't mean that he should have, when he had children, he should have just stopped exploring hmm. and stopped investigating. That is who he is. That is his essence. That is what he came to do. And well, yes, he messed up. But it was unintentional. It was unintentional. And there's a lot of guilt that's put on that character for an act that was unintentional. And again, maybe it was not very well developed in the movie. You know, whether or not he didn't know how long he'd be gone as a result or that he'd be trapped or where he was going. But it does seem to have this thesis of choose family over work. Here's the thing. That is not always an option. And I don't mean financially speaking oh okay sometimes it's like it's it's so ingrained into your cells you need to investigate you need to create you need to do whatever and you're ch if you do it well in front of your children mm -hmm. your children are going to know what direction they want to go in life you know mm -hmm. if they see you blubbering and blundering and not knowing you know and suffering because like oh my god i have a family and i can't do what i love to do or whatever it is it's going to be so much more damaging this is an incident, incident that, unfortunately, wasn't intended to happen, but it happened. And yes, the parent would have guilt. Yeah. I'm not taking that away from this film. Okay. And yes, he should apologize, but he didn't have to make it that he should have given up everything for her. Because I don't want my children to think that parents have to sacrifice everything for their children. That's not realistic. That's not a sane choice, in my opinion. But it was not his intention to be gone. I will give you that it's clumsily handled. But I think what it's trying to say is family is more important than work. And I think it's, 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 an, it's a metaphor. And it's a metaphor we've seen done before. We've seen it probably handled better before, where you're taking a big picture work, you know, like the universe you know exploring the universe or whatever and a choice of that over over the things that are right in front of you i think that's the aim of the the story and i don't begrudge it that at all but i do think it is clumsily handled and and i think that's part of the reason why you take issue with it i i just it's one of many things that's not very well developed well, to be honest, honey, like, I know this theme has happened over several movies, mm -hmm. over several decades. Okay. Okay. But I'm, I'm kind of sick of seeing it because I've reached a point in my life. I, listen, I grew up with entrepreneurs and they had to work their butts off to support me and my brother and themselves. Sure. And they, my father, love him to pieces, but that man had to choose work. Of a family. So I, much. I think that's not at all what's depicted in the movie, though. 
Uh, and, yeah. And, and it's possible, though, that you just have an issue with the story itself. And, and, and that's a completely different issue, right? Go ahead. You have, you're, you're, you're itching to say something. Sure. I didn't like how it was handled. Okay. But I'm also kind of a little sick of that theme for something gotcha. that had little updates here and there. Yeah. Well, yeah. That we've spoken about before this. Yeah, yeah. Like that could have been upgraded to. What, what, what else did you want to talk about in spoilers? I love, on the positive side of spoilers, I love that Meg was the one that steps up and fights for her brother. Okay. And But at the same time, I also like that the dad was like, no, no, we can't. Because that's just somehow, sometimes how parents are. I love that the dad was paralyzed with fear of losing two children instead of one. Uh. And I love that that kind of shows off that kids do have less fear than adults, typically speaking. And she was just so courageous to fight for her brother in that way and Mm. let go of her dad, even though she's just gotten her dad back. Mm. She... Knew she couldn't leave her brother. See, I just, I really wish that that sibling relationship was developed a little more strongly. That so that way, it, it, I just don't think that it was developed in, in well enough to be caught up in in that third act uh, struggle and to to feel what she's feeling necessarily. Yeah, I, I, I guess I feel differently about what you're you're praising about the movie. And again, again, it comes back down to things just not being developed well enough to for us to be engaged to the extent that we need to be. I think to the point of that whole sibling battle, I've seen now two depictions of this five-year-old who's really precocious and, and, and articulate and stuff, turning evil. And it never comes across well. It always, it always seems silly rather than convincing. What other example are you talking about? The, ori- the other Wrinkle in Time film also cast someone who is um, precocious and who could handle... That, that degree of articulation and you know a super smart five-year-old and, and all that sort of stuff and the way he's trying to turn evil and, and he's being all cocky and, and arrogant. I didn't think he was trying to turn evil. I thought he was possessed by the it. But I, I'm, I'm, as an actor I'm talking about in terms of the performance itself hmm. it was it feels silly more than intense if that makes sense. I was uh, certainly not convinced. And maybe that's one of the elements that makes the movie or makes the book unfilmable. It's really difficult to translate uh, what's going on there, I imagine, on the page and make it not laughable on screen. Bless the child's heart, but I just do not feel like he was able to pull off the different nuances of successfully that needed to come across with that whole possession thing his possession doesn't even make sense what they do some math and all of a sudden he's possessed it's like they're synced 
It doesn't make sense. Okay. And who the hell is the red-eyed guy? What the hell is he? I thought he was a physical representation of the it. It never said that. It never explained that. It, it just, um, he just, they mentioned, I think, early, at some point early on about the guy with the red eyes or whatever. And that's it. That's his entire development of who he is. He shows up. It's Michael Pena. He gets one scene on the beach, one scene in this room as a puppet, and then collapses and disappears. It makes absolutely no sense. There's no context to who the hell that is, and it feels like a waste of Michael Pena. There's a lot of stuff like that 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 when I think about it, things just start to fall apart more and more, and it kind of drives me nuts a little. And I think that's that's a huge failing of of the movie. And it's really surprising and unfortunate. Now, I'm not really familiar with the co-writer of the film, Jennifer Lee, if this is not typical of her work. I know this film overall is not typical of Ava's work. You know, we've talked in the past about how we've seen, all I think, all of Ava's films. And this is, you know, she's never done anything of this scale. This is a very different story for her. And I think she shows that she can handle a big budget tentpole movie but i think a lot of the problems are issues with the script uh, i'm looking at jennifer lee now she's actually a disney writer she's written well, frozen right wreck it ralph frozen zootopia all good films i i actually you know like some more than frozen but she's not in any means a a mediocre writer but for some reason, she just wasn't able to crack or develop this film very well. And I don't know how uh, the other writer's name is Jeff Stockwell. I'm not familiar uh, with him. I'm looking at his filmography, and he hasn't written really much since 2007. He wrote the screenplay The Bridge to Terabithia, hmm. uh, which was fine. It was a good film. And then he, he uh, started writing again in 2017. So... Anyway, stuff like what I, what I was referring to just doesn't make sense. And it's a shame because a film like this needs for the world building and everything and the character development to all make sense in order to fully invest in the characters and what happens to the characters. You need a child who isn't too much of a ch- quote-unquote child actor to be able to handle the possession scenes that this child goes through. Um, instead, you know, I mean, he's like pivoting on his foot in a cocky, uh, very arrogant way. And it's just, I don't know, man. It, it looks more silly than anything else. Anyway, I, I feel like I've kind of rambled on long enough. Did you have any other things that are worth discussing as spoilers? No. Okay. So... What are your final thoughts about The Wrinkle in Time? Do you recommend it? How would you rate it? I highly recommend it. I think everybody should watch it. And if you don't like it, then you know. But everybody should give it a chance. And maybe don't read the book before you see it. Our son read the book first. And he was a little disappointed about certain things. And he had explained certain things to me. Uh, before the movie so I would just go into it not reading the book and then go read the book afterwards if you feel like it so do you think that fans of the book would be disappointed then well who else is who else is outraging out there that's who I think is outraging Mm. 
I think that's a big issue if fans of the book don't approve. I feel very different from you. I would give this film a 5 out of 10. It's not a complete waste of time. There's a lot of really, really cool stuff that happens in it, and it's really well cast. There is some enjoyment to be had, but it is a very poorly developed film and it has a lot of issues and it definitely did not live up to its potential so that's a wrinkle in time what are your thoughts on the film did you see it this weekend let us know at the gibson review at gmail.com now it's time to move on to film faves where we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic in this episode it's 2001 now the purpose of Film Faves is to not only give you an idea of our tastes in film, but also to hopefully expose you to things you hadn't been exposed to before. As such, we try to point you in the direction of where you can find these films to stream. We point to four different platforms, Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO, and Hulu. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of films are not available on even that many platforms, but we do point them out when they do come up. So, Shanna, we had a real hard time with 2001, didn't we? I thought I had a hard time with 2002. I was wrong. <laughs> 2001 is just as bad. Yeah. It's, it, it was definitely worse for me. Now, what's interesting is I think, I think because of terrorist attacks on uh, September 11th, uh, some movies got delayed to 2002, which kind of crowded 2002 a little bit. I had an easier time with 2002 than you did, although there's a couple of movies that we discovered later that were actually from 2002 that didn't come up in our research previously that you're a fan of, right? Yeah, so that's Lovely and Amazing, which I've talked about before in the F-rated episode. By Nicole Hall of Center. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, Monsoon Wedding. Yes, by Mira Nair. Beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Very good films. But yeah, I think when I formulated my list, I had exactly 12 movies I liked. I don't. From 2001. I don't. It was was pretty tough. I don't mean to start off like negative here, guys, but like I really had a hard time with this one. I think it's been a while since we've come up across a year this difficult, I think, for both of us, really. But why don't you tell us what did end up being your number 12 movie? My number 12 is Atlantis. Not a terribly awful film. Not a terribly fantastic film. But it's a fun exploration of what Atlantis could be and could be holding. And there are some very funny moments. I like the quirky characters that make up the the team that go and investigate where Atlantis could be hidden. This is the Disney film, animated film, uh, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Yes. And I did like, I guess I liked, at the time, I liked the portrayal of Kira, I think is her name, the Queen of Atlantis. And that's available to stream on Netflix, as Jeff is showing me right now. Something about her character appealed to me at the time. I don't know how I feel about it now. It's been a while since I've watched it. What's your number 12, Jeff? What's in your wallet? (laughs) (laughs) My number 12 is The Fabulous Destiny of Amelie Poulain, which is also known as simply Amelie. Why is it at the bottom of your list? Well, Mm. because there are other movies Mm. that I enjoyed. Now, this film is available on on Hulu and Amazon Prime. 
It is absolutely enjoyable, quirky little romantic comedy. It's a French film by, oh, what's his name? I just know that Jan Tiersen did the the score. Jean-Pierre Jeunet. I knew it was Jean-Pierre someone. Jean-Pierre Jeunet. Of course, it also introduced the world to Audrey Tatao. And she's fantastic as essentially this this girl who uh, plays matchmaker trying to get all these people around her to fall in love and and tries to do good with her life. It's just such a, a, a lovely, delightful, uh, whimsical film that's so unique in its direction and visuals and, and cinematography that you just you just if you missed it, you really need to check it out. Uh, so that's uh, the fabulous destiny of Amelie Poulain commonly known as simply Amelie, on Hulu and Amazon Prime. My number 11 is Mulholland Drive, and this is a David Lynch film, and David Lynch is the creator of awesome awesome weirdness Twin Peaks TV show. And this stars Naomi Watts, Laura Haring, Justin Theroux, Ann Miller, Robert Forster, Forster, and it's like neo-noir mystery mindfuck film. So, like... You have to actually start watching this at like, you know, as soon as it's age appropriate. You have to watch it at different stages of your life because I feel like anything David Lynch creates is open for interpretation based on your experiences of your life and what you've, Mm. you know, heard and been exposed to. Essentially, it is taking place in Los Angeles and it's like a dark, I want to be an actress film and how things could work out. Uh, how you hope things will work out and how things actually work out. So that's all I can leave you with. I think that's the best description I can give. Really worth checking out. It's a very bizarre and moody film. We rewatched it not too long ago. Well, we kind of sat there scratching our heads, yeah. trying to figure out what we liked about it, what we didn't like about it. You know, yeah, definitely. basic review. It's more interesting than unlikable. And a breakout role for Naomi Watts also. Oh, yeah, that was great. Uh, for me, my number 11, <laughs> completely opposite end of the spectrum, is Josie and the Pussycats. Which, what? You betcha. Which stars Tara Reid. I believe her name was Rachel Leigh Cook and Rosario Dawson, as well as Parker Posey and Alan Cumming, who are absolutely delicious and delightful in this movie. You know, I, uh, Josie and the Pussycats... Gets a bad rap, man. Yeah. I I really stand by. This was a really clever and uh, just very cute and witty satire of MTV culture at that time, this TRL culture. And, you know, interestingly enough, out of those three main actresses who played the Pussycats, really it's Rosario Dawson who ended up being the most successful of all because, you know, see Tara Reid except in Sharknado movies and what happened oh, to Rachel Lee Cook. Oh Tara Reid. I forgot yeah. about her. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I, I, I really highly recommend give this movie another chance. It's 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 not nearly as bad as you would think it is. And it's pretty darn witty. So it's oh, I've always been a defender of that film. Even though Roger Ebert gave it a one star and, and included it in his This Movie Sucks book. One of the few, <laughs> one of the few times I will take exception Let's to do a list like that. Roger Ebert. This sucks. Top ten of the decade or whatever. Oh, I have, I have, but yeah, that's one of the few times I will take exception to something Roger Ebert says. Um, 
not not a mind blowing film, but definitely enjoyable. Uh, what's your number ten, Lovey? My number ten is Along Came a Spider. This stars Monica Potter and Morgan Freeman, and is available to stream on HBO now. I didn't realize that Morgan Freeman is playing Alex Cross, who would later have his own movie starring Tyler Perry. What's that movie? Uh, Alex Cross. Oh. <laughs> I it's, had no it's idea. It's based on that character? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I didn't realize Morgan is, Freeman Is Morgan Freeman that, in that? Yeah. Well, no. he No, because Tyler Perry took over the role from uh, Morgan Freeman, who played oh. Alex Cross in The Long King Spider. I, I think Kiss the Girls is Well, this also... is a John Grisham. John Grisham? I'm so sorry. This is a James Patterson. Ah, yeah, yeah. Based on a James Patterson novel uh, from 93. And uh, yes, you're right. It's uh, Kiss the Girls is also the same. Okay. Same place. Thought so. Like this is a prequel or oh, something. Oh, and it looks like Morgan Freeman's in Kiss the Girls as yeah, Alex. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I need to obviously. Okay, so here's what I'm gonna do. Here's the homework. Here's watch Kiss the Girls, Along Came a Spider, and then Alex Cross. Yeah. So that is what I will be doing. But I enjoy this film because I thought it was a good crime film. There's a kidnapping that happens and shit goes awry you know <laughs> as they do when kidnapping happens and i'm a big fan of monica potter she's oh. also in the parenthood tv oh, yeah. sh- tv mm-hmm. series yeah i i really like her and then for a really long time we didn't see her and then parenthood the tv show happened and i was like there you are you know sometimes it's nice to to see the people you enjoy of course of course absolutely uh, my next film is in the bedroom which stars sissy space like tom wilkinson Marissa Tomei, and Nick Stahl, I believe. Essentially, this is a drama that you can't really talk about the entire story, but Marissa Tomei and Nick Stahl have a relationship, and things go horribly wrong, and it has It ripple. goes awry! <laughs> well, in, in, in very shocking and tragic ways, and then the rest, the second half of the movie is about people, the characters dealing with with uh, an incident that occurs. This was easily among the five best films of the year. It's been way too long since I've seen it, and I think that's kind of the main thing that affected its placement in my list of favorites, uh, because just my memory is just a little hazy on it, but I do remember really strong turns by Marissa Tomei and Sissy Spacek uh, specifically. And, and I think I'm, I, I don't think I was 100% satisfied with, with its third act direction, but a very strong film and worth uh, seeking out if you can. That's in the bedroom. It's my number 10 favorite film of 2001. My number nine is Rat Race. This is about uh, <laughs> as shut up. No, it's just you completely had Josie different. And the Pussycats. No, no, no. It's completely different from in the bedroom. That's why I'm laughing. Yes, it's completely yeah. different from Josie and the Pussycats. Well. And Mulholland Drive. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Okay, this is a film that's dear to my heart because it's a film that, you know, my family and I bonded with. It's on the same bond level as my big fat, my big fit Greek wedding. (laughs) My big fat Greek wedding. This is a, about making money (laughs) according to imdb it's a las vegas casino magnet determined to find a new avenue for wagering sets up a race for money now my father was good at blackjack and played in blackjack tournaments so there was a lot i could relate to in this film and 
you know, Gloria Allred even makes an appearance. Seth Green. Whoopi Goldberg is in this film. Lene Chapman is in this film. And she delivers one of the best lines, you know, that are relative to my family where she's got, she's obviously this, you know, huge businesswoman. And she has like extra phones because her phones keep breaking because she's so stressed out. Mm. You know, she's like, shut up and get it done. And oh. she like breaks her phone and that, you know, even... Cuba Gooding Jr. is also on the Yes, movie, and yeah. Rowan Atkinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very silly and film. Very silly it's film. very stupid, actually. Yeah. It's an incredibly stupid film. But yeah. it's it's dear to my heart. So, it also has John Cleese and... Yeah, he's the eccentric... I'm eccentric. God, I love... You know, yeah, Rowan Atkinson's funny, but John Cleese is better. I love him so much. Yeah. You should really check out It's a Mad, 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 Mad World because this is well known as a kind of remake of that film. Uh, Very, like, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World light (laughs) because it's half the length of that film also. But very similar, and it has this all-star cast of the time. Yeah, fun, very silly film. For me, my number nine is Memento by Christopher Nolan. Fuck's sakes, I forgot that that was in this year. <laughs> you know, that's a favorite of mine too. <laughs> Which, of course, stars Guy Pierce. It was Christopher Nolan's breakout film. He had a small film previous called Following. It came out a couple years previous to this. But this is Carrie Ann Moss, Joe Pantoliano, and, and Guy Pierce. It's basically a three three-person story all about the guy who suffers from memory loss and the memory condition where he basically forgets what happened the previous day or whatever and so he's always making it's like tattoos. 51st dates <laughs> well except, yeah, except better he's making tattoos on his body so he can remember and he's trying to solve a mystery of what happened to his wife and it's a, a constant question of who's manipulating him, who can he trust, and it's a really uh, extraordinary, awesome movie. Uh, most importantly, it's also filmed in reverse, or it's it, the story's told in reverse, which was a very unique storytelling mechanic at that time. And I think the movie, from what I can recall last time I saw it, I think it's held up pretty well, even if you've seen it before. Uh, it's a it's a great film and one of the best of the year. My number eight is Donnie Darko. It's available on Netflix. So yippee, everybody can get access to that. This is a science fiction film and it's written and directed by Richard Kelly. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Maggie Gyllenhaal. They're actually real siblings mm-hmm. in the film too. So it's kind of fun. It's got Drew Barrymore. It's got Patrick Swayze, a couple other people. And it's one of those sort of doomsday leading up to a doomsday event. And it's just trippy and weird. And that's what's appealing about it. And I only watched it for the first time about four years ago. Oh, really? Or five, three years ago. It was Did I from, show you that? It was from your collection, but I think I watched it alone. Okay. So. Did you watch the theatrical cut or the director's cut? Do you remember? I don't know. Okay. That was very interesting, and I actually want to watch it again now. So. Yeah, yeah. I was it's a think- pity it's late at night right now. Yeah, I was thinking that earlier today, too. My, my next film is Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, which is currently available on HBO now. All of them are available yeah, on HBO now. Yeah, You know, it's funny. I, whenever I think of this movie, part of me is like, eh, not my favorite of the series. 
but I think like I undervalue the film, even though I think of this as like a traditional fantasy franchise, children's franchise starter, if that makes sense. And so I think like my mind devalues it because it's very much a childlike story. But I have to remind myself that makes sense in the context of the overall big picture. These are kids. This should be the most bright and happiest and wondrous and you know wide-eyed and and, and, and childlike of the entire franchise. Mm. And I think Chris Columbus gets a gets a bad rap for for his adaptations in the series. For, for trying to be as um, faithful to the books as possible. Yeah, it's it's a lengthy film, but... Um, and a lot still got left out. And, but it goes by pretty, pretty smoothly. Yeah. And it's got, of course, a wonderful John Williams score. Oh my God, it's so beautiful uh, um, and enchanting. It is. I, and I think that's a really good word for the entire film. It's just wonderful. Yes, the series gets even better from here. But this film is no slouch, and, and it's no wrinkle in time, in my opinion, in terms of uh, mm-hmm. as a fantasy franchise starters or spectacles. And so, yeah, it earns a spot on my list. So check it out on HBO now, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. My next film is The Princess Diaries at number seven. It's not available to stream anywhere, apparently. <laughs> so you'll you'll have to go and find it. I'm sure it's available to rent everywhere. It's an American teen romantic comedy film, and it actually is the debut for Anne Hathaway. Right. right, And God, I love that woman so much. She's come a long way. She is so great. And you know what? That's not a bad first role. But anyway, this stars Anne Hathaway as Mia Thermopolis, and she is trying to get through her geeky, awkward teenagerhood. Kind of a little similar to A Wrinkle in Time, <laughs> trying to get through that that teenage. Yeah, she's definitely depicted as being very ugly duckling and awkward and all that sort of stuff. Well, I think she feels like an ugly duckling. Mm. I loved her curly hair. I would play with that all day long, but mm. that's just me. Anyway, she finds out that she's a princess to a kingdom and she needs to step up into her royal duties, and she had no idea that she had this part of her life. Uh, it also stars Judy Andrews, just in case people didn't know that. Yeah, you can't overlook that. Of course, that's a Gary Marshall Ooh. movie. And Mandy Moore was a total bitch in this movie. Uh, I forgot that she was even in the movie. All right, my next pick is Shrek. Um, which, yeah, absolutely, Ugh. absolutely. I will defend the original Shrek nonstop because yeah they wore this thing into the ground that thing did not leave the freaking theaters you know why because there was a huge freaking success and that's because it was so original Uh, it was way more original as an animated film than most um, of the crap that comes out and even to this day of course it is based on a children's story which I didn't even know existed until way after this movie uh, Mm. came out uh, voiced, of course, by such stars as Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, John Lithgow, who is brilliant in this movie. So many brilliant little moments. I actually think Eddie Murphy is not necessarily the strongest point of the mo- of this film or this franchise. He does get a little annoying after a certain point. 
But John Lithgow is absolutely hilarious. And if you if you ever want to, you know, refresh yourself on how it all started and why it started, why it became such a huge success, why it was the first animated film to win Best Animated Film at the Oscars, check it out. That is Shrek. It is my number seven. My number six is Legally Blonde, and we have spoken about this film previously, but just as a reminder, it stars Reese Witherspoon, and she, uh, well, she starts off as your stereotypical female character Mm -hmm. and becomes so much more, and it's a very enjoyable film. Lots of quotes that happen throughout my whole life. This is a very quotable movie, is Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. Uh, and lots of fun. And it's, it's a good example of showing how women are pitted against each other and how they can overcome that and break that mm. construct that society has put on us. My number six is Laura the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, which is available on Netflix. Try to put yourself back in 2001 or even the year 2000. This thing was one of the most anticipated films of the year it had a tremendous teaser that all it did was show the cast of characters walking over an, uh, a freaking knoll <laughs> you know and it felt epic and it was epic and this thing was a huge achievement I, I i still contend that it is the best film of the well one of the best films of the year because it was such a in a marvel of an epic in in terms of scale in terms of cast in terms of production design in terms of visual effects i mean they had to create programs in order to handle some of the battles in order to create individual like uh, digital extras that have their own personality or own behaviors and stuff and it's it's you know just remarkable film so it's not my favorite chapter of the Lord of the Rings film, as I mentioned in a previous episode, but it's damn good, and it should not be underestimated uh, or under underrated. And you can find it on Netflix if you want to take an afternoon and revisit it. My next film, number five, is Monsters Incorporated. This is starring the fantastic voice talents of Billy Crystal and John Goodman. And they're a duo in this film, which is just great. And it's directed by Pete Docter. This is the same person that brought us Inside Out recently. Mm, yes, fantastic. And it's about this world of monsters. And I, I think it's like a different dimension they never really tell you yeah they have their own world yeah yeah and what they're doing is you have mike wazowski and sully they're working for a electric company essentially and the way they get their electricity is by scaring children and this the energy that they get from the scream is how they power their world and children and humans in general are not allowed in to the the world the monster world and anything of a human nature that touches the monsters it's seen as toxic Mm -hmm. and it's just really funny how that's probably like our interpretation is well you know anything monstery that touches us is probably toxic and like horribly unsafe so it's a really fun film there's lots of comedic moments it's really cute and I highly recommend it. 
My number five film is The Others, starring... That's my number four. That's your number four. Excellent. Cool. So we'll discuss this together. This stars Nicole Kidman. Love her in this. If I'm not mistaken, I believe it's directed by Juan Antonio Bayona. And it is one of the best... Not only one of the best ghost stories, but uh, one of the best PG-13 movies to come out that decade. We should let Logan watch it. Well, yeah. And if you remember correctly, that decade had a string of PG-13 horror films. And I apologize. I was wrong. It's uh, Alejandro Amenabar who uh, directed this film. I sometimes get Juan Antonio uh, Bayona and Alejandro Amenabar mixed up. I believe... Juan Antonio Bayona directed The Orphanage, and that's the reason why I get the two mixed up. The others, The Orphanage, both ghost stories. This director did Open Your Eyes, which uh, was later poorly remade as Vanilla Sky. Oh, no! That's what that is? Enough said. And anyway, The Others. Great ghost story. Wonderful twist. Very well acted. Yeah, wonderful performances. One of Nicole Kidman's last great roles. Well, you haven't seen Big Little Lies, so. That's true. That's true. That's true. Okay, one of her last great roles for many years. It's worth seeking out if you have not seen The Others. What What did you like about the movie? Why is it on your list? It's the one kind of, I guess, horror film, scary film that I could watch and not be absolutely petrified. Mm. There's only one or two scenes that really make me jump, but the rest of the time I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen next? This is so mysterious. What is happening? Is she right? Is she wrong? So it's it's a really fun film for me, for someone who doesn't like to be scared too much. I recommend it to anyone who is minimal with their horror Mm. genre. Yeah, yeah. It's very atmospheric and, and moody and has a few jump scares here and there. My number four is is Monsters Incorporated. One of the best Pixar films still to this day. Better than Monsters University. Brilliant, clever, hilarious. The allegory of, of alternative energy is, you know, this is back in 2001. Shortly or not long after the whole electric car debacle in California and how that got kind of screwed over by the auto industry mm. so here we're 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 making a case in a family film for alternative energy and also not fearing the other you know you talked mm. about how it's you know anything that is human or you know you can't even interact with humans unless it's to gain energy is frowned upon and uh, it's interesting. You could you could see it as it's completely shut down. You could see it as a Middle East Western uh, allegory, you know, which is very interesting in in a Pixar film. Plus, at this, this time, they're trying to still prove themselves uh, and challenge themselves with each project. This time with fur. Oh, that and fur was beautiful. So it was absolutely uh, well rendered, and uh, yeah, of course, you know, it's it's got a lot of heart. So I absolutely love Monsters Inc. Shanna, we are now in our top three films of 2001. What is your third favorite film of the year? My third favorite film is available on HBO. It is Harry Potter. And, you know, I was really, I think I was like 14 or something at this stage. And I was just really bored with what was coming out. That was 
you know, directed at kids, teens, yeah. tweens. And when Harry Potter came out, I was like, oh my God, I get to be excited about something. And it was kind of an entry point into geekery, really, because mm. it's like, oh, I can geek out about this with people and they're not going to like ostracize me. Yeah. Whereas before, if I said, I really like Monsters Incorporated, it's just so smart, blah, 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 here are my points. Nobody would have listened to me, but here we have Harry Potter hmm. and it was just more universally accepted Really, where I was. That's interesting because I feel like it's the opposite where Monsters Incorporated had a much broader appeal and Harry Potter is, you know, fantasy fans and or children's book fans. Although I am forgetting there was a huge Harry Potter craze that, that spanned age groups. There was, yeah. yeah. And I think by this time there were three books out. Yeah, yeah. And what a phenomenon. And mm -hmm. how cool to be involved. And I thought to myself, oh, well, this must have been what it was like for Star Wars. This must be like my my generation's Star Wars, mm. you know. So In some ways, cool. except it's important to remember that Harry Potter was credited for really getting kids back interested in, in yes. reading again. It was a really big deal. And there was, uh, there was a bit of a challenge of how do we get kids interested in reading. Well, J.K. Rowling came along on, and uh, changed everything. Well, it was very interesting because you have to remember that I was in, I was going to school in South Africa where Christianity was still the prominent oh, and, deciding and, factors, rules. It had a lot going. of influence. And yeah. something like this would have been rejected but because it had so much traction already mm. and it was getting people to read kids yeah. to read yeah i mean our libraries had about five copies of the books mm. so you know it was accepted and yeah. it was really fascinating for me to see that get accepted when you know i think the golden compass i can't remember when that came out but that was completely rejected and torn to pieces wow. so from what i understand for, for other, other reasons, reasons too but yeah particularly from that argument. Hmm. So. Well, my third favorite film of the year is Ghost World. Is actually has a Criterion edition available, if you can uh, find that, which I highly recommend. Uh, this film stars Thora Birch and Scarlett Johansson. They are teenagers at this point in their career still. Steve Buscemi also stars in it. He's great in it. Oh, oh, what's her name? Ileana Douglas stars as an art teacher who's like, you know, the stereotypical art teacher who is just so pretentious yet also so judgy too. She's hilarious in this movie. But this is a film that's that's um, based on a Daniel Klaus uh, graphic novel, and I think it's even written by Daniel Klaus if I remember correctly. It's a film that as I grow up, I, I see in different shades, in different perspectives, the characters and the story. And it's a really interesting to kind of grow up and see the, and revisit this film at different phases of my life in my own maturity and aging and understand it differently. So like The Highland Drive. I don't know about <laughs> that. I can actually understand what's happening in Ghost World. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it's really great. And, and Scarlett Johansson was in this period where she was taking a very interesting and different projects, not action-driven projects at this point. So she was indie uh, it girl at this time, too. But yeah, it's, 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 it's always remained a favorite of mine, and it's a great, great uh, comedy. 
And that's Ghost World, my third favorite film of 2001. What's your second favorite? My second favorite is Moulin Rouge. It stars Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor. This was a good year for Nicole Kidman. The yeah. others, Moulin Rouge. Yeah. And she had The Hours the next year. Oh, my God, yeah. So she had really quite a fantastic run. Yeah. This is a romantic musical comedy film, and it's co-produced, co-written by Baz Luhrmann and directed by him. Yeah. And it's about love. <laughs> It's about figuring out above what love is above love. all things, you yeah. know, to be loved and to love and be loved in return. It's very hard to be loved and yeah. fantastic costumes. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. The makeup, the set design, the set design. I want to be on that set designed area yeah. thing. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So that's my number two. Awesome. My second favorite film of 2001 is Donnie Darko, which is available on Netflix. I believe the theatrical cut. Now, this thing, I contend one of the greatest films of the decade because this is a movie that survived a national tragedy, okay? This movie was supposed to release uh, the Friday after September 11th. No! And... Really? Yeah, and uh, Richard Kelly had to beg the studio to just release it, at least in one theater, all right? Just one theater. He did not want it to go straight to video. He wanted, and so it got released in a theater, I think, in New York, if I remember correctly. Oh, and this is a movie a bad that was endangered due to national tragedy. Uh, it, 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 the reason is like uh, an airplane plays a, a prominent role in the in the film and the story, and it grew to having this a re-release and a director's cut release, and it became this huge cult thing. And it was one of those movies that you watch and you're like, what the hell is this? It's a, it was a head scratcher. It was, a, it was operating on a, a intellectual levels that no movie is really operating on before. And it, and it's just absolutely fascinating. It's got a fantastic 80s soundtrack to it. Like Head Over Heels by, I think, the Thompson Twins, if I remember correctly. Amazing use of that song incredible cast as shanna mentioned before if you ever get the opportunity do get the physical copies because there are three commentaries on the theatrical cut alone there's a cast commentary which is awesome there's a commentary with jake gyllenhaal and the director and there's a commentary with kevin smith the uh, the director of clerks and richard kelly and you would think you wouldn't get very much out of any one of those at some point but you do it is that rich of a film and it's extraordinary richard kelly never never made anything nearly as good as this uh, again unfortunately and i don't know whatever became of him but donnie darko is a mind fuck of a movie not mulholland drive david lynchian mind fuck but just just <laughs> extraordinary if you ever watch the director's cut... It's like still understandable, mindfuck. Yeah. If you ever watch the director's cut like Shanna did, it, it is a little bit more literal. It does explain what's actually happening a little bit more. But the experience of watching that theatrical cut, man, if that's your first experience seeing the movie, can't recommend it high, highly enough. Check it out on Netflix. What is your favorite movie of 2001, Shanna? My favorite one is Amelie. I should not be surprised. Yeah. Which, again, is on Hulu and Amazon Prime. That thing is a piece of artwork. That thing is beautiful. Here's a story about Amelie, 
who her journey kind of starts when she finds this hidden metal box mm. kind of like a time capsule yeah. of the previous person a previous person who lived there and she decides that she's going to track this person down and give the box back to him because she feels that it's going to make whoever this person is it's going to make this person really really happy and then she like evolves her journey to well that's going to be her life's purpose is to bring happiness to other people and she's so enchanting and you know just the film work showing how much pleasure she gets out of cracking creme brulee oh my god it oh, is yeah. it is pleasurable forgot about that well, it's <laughs> well shot too it's so great yeah. and I really love this film and it has a really good ending too mm. it's just completely and utterly satisfying and just beautiful to to watch it's a feast Mm -hmm. for me of color color done really well yeah definitely definitely awesome what is your number one my favorite roll please (laughs) my favorite film of 2001 is moulin rouge this thing is what the movie that launched a whole trend of musicals every year after this movie there was a musical that came out from Chicago the following year mm. to Hairspray in 2007, Dreamgirls in 2006. Every single year there was a, a musical that came out. They varied in success, but I will contend that none of them were as creatively or I'm not even sure financially as successful as Moulin Rouge. When I, I remember watching this with my parents on video, and I remember just the first five minutes alone, my mm. dad and I knew immediately we were about to experience something special. And it sure as hell was Boz Lerman's in just insane, frenetic, you know, hectic vision of mishmashing, I don't know, what is it, 1920s Paris or turn-of-the-century Paris with with contemporary music, pop music, into wonderful musical compositions. It was just an absolute feast for the eyes and the ears. I absolutely adore many of the the musical sequences. Spectacular, spectacular. Oh, gosh, that's not even the best. Oh, I but mean, it was so cute. <laughs> Roxanne mm. is extraordinary. Although the show must go on. Rhythm of the night. Uh, that's not, again... <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I love your examples. They're, they're like not... Yeah. Like a virgin? The ridiculously... One day I'll fly away. Oh, gosh. The, all of it. I love Nicole Kidman in this film. I love her vocal performance. I love Ian McGregor's vocal performance. Theater, musical theater fans may be really nitpicky about actors performing songs, but fuck them. Like, I, I think they, that these two leads did an extraordinary job. Jim Broadbent, um, he's the one that scenes uh, Show Must Go On. I think he also scenes the Like a Virgin thing, too. It's just absolutely delightful spectacle of a musical. And there was not a musical that came out in the following years that measured up to the greatness of Moulin Rouge. And you could say the same thing about Boz Lerman's career. He definitely peaked here. So if you haven't seen it, you have been missing out for sure. 
But what is your favorite film of 2001? Please email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That's going to be about it for this 25th episode of The Movie Lovers. Shanna, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me... You can find me on all my channels through my website, shannapaxton.com, S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N.com. Nice and simple. Uh, mine, not so much. No, he goes on. Go to <laughs> thegibsonreview.com to find reviews, lists, episodes all on there. This is where it all began. Go to Facebook slash thegibsonreview to find third-party links, mini-reviews, other past episodes also are links to the website you can also of course find this episode these episodes on itunes or soundcloud subscribe put a uh, constructive reviews on there we definitely appreciate that help us find more listeners and of course go to flick chart the gibson 99 where you'll find my list of 3100 or so films that i have seen in my lifetime next time on the Movie Lovers. We were just discussing this. It looks like it will either be... It'll be it's coming down to two of our most anticipated movies of the year. One of mine, Tomb Raider, against one of Shanna's, Owl of Dogs, schedule pending on our availability. But keep an eye on Facebook for an update of what it will be. Uh, that should become available on March 27th. Until then, this is Jeff and Shanna saying keep loving the movies. Bye-bye. Uh, Vince Vilaf. Vince who? I don't know who the fuck that is. <laughs> Just edit that out, okay? okay.